0: It's good to have you all with us here on the News and Views Radio Network. I don't care whether you're listening in any one of this uh, family of radio stations, this heritage radio stations, you know what it's like to deal with water issues. Uh, and and that's why I'm glad we're here right now at the Red River Basin's uh, annual summit, uh, 41st annual summit, I might add. Um, I've been talking a lot today about the footprint, about how South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, and Manitoba all play a role in in dealing with this. Uh, Linda Nicole is the executive director of the Manitoba Association of Watersheds. Uh, she's worked in a nonprofit uh, organizations for over 15 years specializing in strategic planning, operations, communications. She's got her BA in political studies and is committed to all of the things that we're talking about here today. Also, Uh, Ted Pryster, I pulled him. I drugged him. I said, sit back down. We're going to visit some more. Linda, good to have you on News and Views.
1: Thanks for having me, Joel.
0: Talk to me, if you will, uh, because, Ted, we've talked about this many times, Uh, the perception versus the reality of how we manage the Red River when it comes to what we send to the north and the importance of meetings like this.
1: I mean, meetings like this are essential for us because water knows no boundaries. At the end of the day, the fact that we are, you know, north of the border from you really makes no difference when what's coming upstream towards us is uh, is impacted by the decisions that are made here in North Dakota and, and beyond.
0: Uh, well, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you, you're part of what you're working for is, is watersheds. Oftentimes we use that term, but nobody understands what it means. Mm-hmm. They have an image of what watershed means. You know, some for some it's getting rid of, for some it's holding back. I mean, how would you define what a watershed is?
1: A watershed's the area of land and water that impacts um, a community really, is what it comes down to. They're, they are impacted by every decision that's made on the land. And so a big part of what we do um, through the Watershed District Program in Manitoba is work with landowners to help make better decisions about managing their their property and uh, therefore benefiting the watershed as a whole to to help their neighbors
0: and and ted you know because i know you've got offices on both sides of this border is there a drastic difference between what we've talked about here today how minnesota how north dakota how manitoba all manage their watersheds uh, hold on if i hit the button then you can oh now i can talk
2: excellent uh you know joel we've talked about this this is my sixth year on the job and Manitoba transitioned to watersheds in that time frame. Before that, they were conservation districts based on political boundaries, straight lines and weren't there. And so Manitoba over the last 6 years has come made leaps and bounds to adapting to that and they've built programs that foster that. So they they're making huge huge strides and you know when I was sitting here a few minutes ago I said we each do it a little bit differently but we each are getting to a system that works for our political system and the way our laws are written so i i'm excited to see how manitoba is is growing into that and and growing is the right word They they're adding municipalities to their organization all the time uh it's
0: been fun to see how how are they embracing it
1: you know at this point the manitoba watershed district program covers about 95 percent of agricultural manitoba uh we have over 110 municipalities partnered within the program as well as A number of First Nations partners Um, so the program is growing for sure and there's a lot of investment available both through provincial programming and and provincial investments made into things like the conservation and grow trusts that are available through watershed districts but also there's been um, I would say a significant focus on climate friendly programming from our federal and provincial governments that a lot of the work that is being done to help manage the watersheds is eligible for that type of funding as well so there's ongoing opportunity to grow this program, and that's something that we're really focused on doing.
0: Okay. When I when I go north, you know, you, you look at things of, of in terms of what I can see. I, I see ring dykes uh, w- when I go to Manitoba. When I go to Winnipeg, I'm going to see ring dikes. Way more than what I'm going to see, certainly, up and down the Red River Valley. The further north I get in, in North Dakota, I'm going to see them as well, but nothing like I do in, in Manitoba. And And so I always look at that and think, okay, Needed, number one. Mm-hmm. You know that family, that farm. They they need that number one. Number two, it's it's a protection of one. It's <laughs> not a protection of of kind of all. Mm-hmm. And so, if I'm understanding some of what we're talking about, we're evolving. Is that safe to say, Ted?
2: That's a, a, a tricky question. You know, there's just been different approaches over the years, um, yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly. You can't miss it. As soon as you cross the border. Every single house and every one of those is protected with a ring dike or, or been elevated in the last 50 years. But making a big change and and it gets back to that those climate smart requirements and building resilience into the system. So I, I think that that's a, a fair statement that it's evolving into a, looking at changing conditions. But- Oh, go ahead, Linda.
1: I was just going to say, I think that part of that evolution too is, you know, e- within my lifetime, I, I was a kid during like the flood of '97, but I lived in southern Manitoba. And you I just up... had
0: to say it that way, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Linda. Go ahead.
1: Sorry, that wasn't uh, <laughs> not my smoothest moment, perhaps, but but I was, and I, I remember, you know, the the panic of, you know, my friends who lived on farms, and they were we were out there sandbagging, like schools were closed to try to help. Like it was, it was really yeah. intense. Um, and after that, we saw a lot of that infrastructure change, where ring dikes were built or expanded, houses were elevated. There's a lot of different things, but we've also um, seen things like wetlands being restored and building out that real green infrastructure piece to hold that water back in a different way and slow down those floodwaters. So it's not just the the ring dikes; it's also a lot of on the ground projects that have happened um, all the way up Highway 75 and beyond throughout the throughout the basin to help manage that water flow more effectively so while ring dikes are probably the thing that catch the most you, sure, your eye you as you're driving there is a lot more that's happening there as yeah. well and and a lot of enhanced wetland restoration projects have been going on
0: yeah then i'm glad i asked you the question because that's that's exactly what i was hoping to get as an answer mm-hmm. I, I think the one thing we don't talk about a lot in in conversations like the one we're having is wildlife I mean, Linda, I don't think we talk enough about wildlife, and Mm -hmm. uh, that comes from somebody who's, uh, you know, pretty much an outdoorsman. I I don't like being in the house, Uh, you know, so I I look at some of the work that you're doing and others are doing, Ted and others, and it benefits me. Mm -hmm. I don't own farmland, you know, but I sure like the fact that you're working with farmers to where... I've got more birds. I've got more deer. I mean, you must see some of that in Manitoba.
1: Oh, we absolutely do. And, you know, we heard it yesterday, um, the phenomenal lineup of speakers that's been happening at this conference, I have to say. But, you know, there's Jerry Doan from Blackleg uh, Ranch was speaking about the increased biodiversity that he sees. You let Doan
0: come in here and speak? Oh yeah. He oh, was he fantastic. So, yeah. He's I I know Jerry. For it, years. It's
1: my goal to bring him up to Manitoba as soon as I can, but <laughs> um but also, you know, there was a producer panel and we had Glenn Lowry, um who's a phenomenal Manitoba farmer. He lives in the Red Boyne Watershed District and he was talking about how the increased diversity they've seen on their farms since adapting more regenerative agriculture practices. Uh, one of his his examples was this, there's a new species of bird every year and they have to figure out what it is because there's always change happening and they're seeing more and more come back to the land Um, and of course that's just one example but we really are recognizing that distinction that when you are practicing those regenerative principles when you're improving your soil health you're improving your water management you do see that increase in biodiversity
0: Ted, what's the watershed down in, watch us both get in trouble together Uh-oh. now. It, it's not as bad for me, because <laughs> I don't live in your world every day, but the watershed that it, over on the Minnesota side down in the Campbell-Tenta area, there's a, uh, it, never mind. Okay. Which,
2: no, which county?
0: Well, that would be Wilkin. To, uh, okay, uh,
2: so uh, it's either the Mustinka River or the Sioux depending on okay. where you're referring to. Okay, it's probably to, but the Boitassu. You're uh, probably talking about the. Uh, the big impoundment down there yeah Um, what
0: what i'm talking about linda is this because it does affect you mm -hmm. obviously uh it it slows water going into the de sioux river making its way to north to lake winnipeg but the farmers because i knew some of these guys and the farmers didn't want it
2: yeah the north ottawa project was a huge contentious issue
0: yeah and and then you sit down with them a couple years later and they're like oh, this wasn't all that bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of that. Well, and the birds, so
2: many birds. And it was land that that
0: was like alkali anyway. They weren't going to get a crop off at every other, you know.
2: There were lots of challenges.
0: Right. (laughs) And and I love it just because when you drive around it, now you, you can see something that benefits the farmer, benefits the rancher, benefits the wildlife yeah, I mean, somebody sacrificed some land, but they came out of it pretty whole, too.
2: Yeah, benefits every community down the yeah. whole river because they're up there at the headwaters. so every drop they hold back in that spring flood makes a difference all the way to Lake Winnipeg.
0: Linda, we made a joke earlier about generations, you know, the <laughs> the fact that you were just a kid when, when all that was going down in 97. Um, you know, I, I drove to Grand Forest to get my... My nephews out of there, oh, and when wow. I took them down to my place in the southern end of the valley, they didn't go back. Mm-hmm. They stayed there until well after the summer. They went to school where we were at, uh, but because my sister lost her home, mm-hmm. you know. But the 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 point I'm trying to get to here is that you, uh, you know, really by the way you're doing things, have an opportunity versus some of the old school. You know, when I, perfect example, when I was building real water systems, some of the old old school, by the way, right. I I pieced that together. (laughs) Some of the old guys were like, no, I don't need, I don't need it. I don't want real water on a farm. Got a good well, got Mm -hmm. this, got that. Now the next generation is like, ah, you know, I wish dad would have done it. The third generation is how can we do this? Mm -hmm. And you've got an opportunity now with that third or fourth generation, it would seem to me, Linda.
1: We sure do. And we're definitely hearing that. Like, We all know that agriculture is, generally speaking, a fairly traditional industry, Um, but there's real innovative thinking that's happening within it, Um, and it's about finding those folks that aren't afraid to take the risk. And certainly, you know, the third, fourth generation, like you said, they have the benefit of seeing, you know, what their parents wished they could have done, but maybe couldn't for whether it was education, whether it was economics, they couldn't afford it, they didn't know enough about it. You know, now we've got this next generation of farmers coming up. They... um, they they have the opportunity to learn, and they're not afraid to try. Um, and having the opportunity to provide some sort of funding towards helping them with those things, uh, whether that's to help further their education, whether that's to help fund a specific project, um, we're definitely seeing that shift in mindset. And it's something that is really urgent because I have the opportunity to talk to the multi-generations of them. And you, know, you have the younger farmer that's doing it, and then you have grandpa saying, look at what they're getting done. Yeah. And they're recognizing that and shifting their own mindset um, it's really it's really um, encouraging to see.
0: There's no bigger indicator of success than being taken for granted. <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about water and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, they just assume that that they don't, you know, their grandpa or grandma or grandma. And it, they just built it. Yeah. it's yep. all good. I'm glad they did that. Yeah. And, and then it's like when you take that for granted like that, then you did something right along the way.